Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross, that managing editor, FightfulMMA.com. Go over there, get all of your MMA news. We've got plenty to talk about today. It is January 29th. Right off the bat, I am joined by one James Lynch. James, you're back from L.A. How is it in Vancouver? Uh, it's great. Uh, you know, obviously not as warm as it was in L.A., but uh, it, was, it was really cool to get to go cover that card last week. Happy to be uh, repping Fightful and, and getting us some good content. But uh, yeah, it's good to be back, but a uh, really successful week uh, covering that card. Lots of good stuff there. We are also joined by Showdown Joe Ferraro, not in L.A., not in Vancouver. He is buried under snow in Toronto, from what I understand, Joe. Yeah, guys, thanks. I apologize uh, for the little delay here. It's it's pretty bad here. I, I was only able to shovel three quarters of my driveway, so I will do the next bit after the show here. So it's uh, it was pretty bad, but listen, live in Canada. It's January. What do you expect, right? <laughs> well, we're going to talk Bellator 214. We're going to talk UFC Fortaleza. We're going to talk about the Conor McGregor, Habib Nurmagomedov situation. But first, we're going to jump into something that uh, – we didn't get to cover last week. That's the UFC rankings ahead of Fortaleza. Let's take a look at where they stand right now. I'm going to present this to everyone. Now, if you're watching this in an isolated clip, we cover this every time that they're updated on UFC's official website. And boy, do we have a lot of changes at pound for pound. Daniel Cormier at number one. Jones at number two. Habib pushed down one spot, but the big one. Amanda Nunes shoots up six spots to number eight. That causes some shuffling. Woodley above St. Pierre, the inactive St. Pierre. McGregor, Miocic, Cejudo, all down one spot. And Rose Namajunas now placed above Cyborg. Showdown, Joe, what do you think of this? There's some major moves in this one, uh, mostly because of Amanda Nunes. Yeah, I mean, I, everyone's got their own theories when it comes to pound-for-pound pound rankings, right? It's, it's you know, if... if Frank Mir once told me, he goes, if everybody was equal weight at 170 pounds, how would they do against one another? Uh, and then, you know, other fighters, uh, some Canadians, I'll, I'll keep them nameless, saying, you know, women should not be on the rankings. And I'm like, well, there's some pretty tough women out there. If they were all 135 pounds, oh, but men are stronger. So I don't know what to really think sometimes when I look at this. But in looking at this, Daniel Cormier at number one, John Jones at number two, my brain goes to the fact, well, John Jones has defeated Daniel Cormier twice. Right, so that's kind of a weird scenario right there. Habib Nurmagomedov, uh, if he was to take on Henry Cejudo and they were at the same weight, how would his wrestling do against Henry Cejudo? So I think it's great fodder, it's great conversations, but you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, I don't know if GSP is not 
relative right now when you think about it. He's gone from the sport technically. I was going to ask about that. What yeah. do you think he should even be ranked? No, I don't believe so. I mean, he might be the first person to tell you, get me off those rankings. They make no sense. I'm not even competing right now. So uh, is what it is. But, you know, Cyborg at 15 kind of has me, you know, even though she's only lost once, um, you know, in what, forever. So it's, it is kind of weird. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting dynamic here. You know, Stipe Miocic even being on there is a bit strange for me because, you know, it, when you think of a well-rounded mixed martial arts in comparison to all the guys that are out there, if Stipe Miocic and someone else were at the same weight, would he win, would he lose, right? James, does it surprise you that Henry Cejudo, keep in mind these rankings were put out right after Brooklyn, that he did, not only did he not improve, he fell a spot after beating the Bantamweight champion. Yeah, the, the Cejudo thing's a little confusing to me as well because I don't even know. Uh, yes, he has the win over Dillashaw, but I mean, the, the Johnson fight was close. It's like, I, I think they have to sort of look at the context here. I don't even know if, I, I like he definitely belongs on this list, but him at number five behind Holloway seems a little odd to me. Like you have guys that have, you know, defended their title a couple times. I, I think those should be ranked a little bit higher. Someone like Nunes, clearly, who's, you know, defended her title at 135 and then also gone up and fought Cyborg um, and defeated her the way she did. That should put her up. You know, I mean, she's at seven. I would, I could even put her up even higher than that to be honest um it's again this is all subjective but uh but yeah i'm, I'm a little and, and i'm with joe too that uh, st pierre should not be on there like it's clear he's not coming back anytime soon so get him off and then when he's ready to come back we can have that conversation you know the funny thing about this it says the rankings were updated on the 21st it does not reflect this based on on what we see like it's it's just really weird the way that some of these rankings fall and the, I, I think they need to get a new panel in but peter yan at number 14 Bantamweight, not a lot to speak about there. Chad Mendez falls three spots to number eight. Josh Emmett falls one spot to number 10 in the featherweight rankings. Volkanovsky, though, cracks that top five. Not only that, the top four. He's up there with Moicano. I'm inclined to agree with this, James. I think this is uh, one where they got it right. Yeah, no, certainly. Uh, I'm, I'm liking the, the movement here. Um, I mean, if you look at this list, you can't really argue with a lot uh, in terms of where fighters are placed and everything like that. Um, yeah, I don't say that too often. So maybe I'll just quit while I'm ahead right here. <laughs> <laughs> Over in the lightweight rankings, James Vick moves up two spots at number nine. Alex Hernandez manages to move up a spot. Trinaldo, Hooker, Felder, Gillespie, <laughs> Islam Makachev all move up a spot which means uh, Kiesa, after he's been yanked from the rankings, causes somebody in uh, like Alexander Hernandez to move up a spot. That's wild, man. Alexander Hernandez gets absolutely fathered by Donald Cerrone and moves up. So no real, real movements there. Cerrone's still ranked at number 13. Over at middleweight, you have Uriah Hall switching spots with Elias Theodoru. Light heavyweight, you have Cormier moving down to that, that, number one spot after losing the championship. But Corey Anderson and Tiago Santos are the ones I'm interested in. They are tied at number six. Anderson shoots up four spots to take number six. He is behind Ozdemir. Santos moves up one spot, so there is no seven ranking. We have Eler Latifi dropping four to number nine. Manawa at number 10. What do you think about these, Joe? Yeah, it's it's an interesting dynamic the way things are set up here. Um, you know, I, I take nothing away from Corey Anderson, but I'm not, I'm not sure if he should be that high. I get it, I understand it. Um, you know, DC though, uh, you know, what do we say about DC? Is he going to be competing again at 205 pounds? Is he taking a slot from someone that potentially could be up at number 15? Although the division is kind of slim when you do think about it, but um, like you said, that the panel right now that makes these calls or makes these votings or does the voting. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's just it's it's strange, but 
you know, I think Dominic Reich and, and Santos should be a little higher, but <laughs> I digress. Up next, we have the heavyweight division with some changes. Marcin Tybura moves up a spot. Justin Willis falls down one. Walt Harris at number 13. Andre Arlovsky falls to number 14. Struve falls to number 15. What do you think about Walt Harris's debut on these rankings or re-debut on these rankings? I think, James. Did did he not get flagged by USADA? I, I thought I read something about that. Um, yeah. So so it's just like, but but it just goes to show, like like the fact that Stefan Struve is still a top fifteen heavyweight just tells you everything you need to know about how you know shallow the heavyweight division is outside some of the you know the top fighters. I mean, Struve hasn't won a fight it seems like in a very long time. Arlovsky as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have an issue with it. I think uh, if anything, it just exposes how weak the division is outside some of the top fighters. Betchko Heya falls to number thirty or number twelve in women's bantamweight. Another dove cries, but at women's flyweight, <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> at women's flyweight, Jennifer Maya up at eleven. Ashley Evan Smith, Lorela, and uh, Andrea Lee all fall down one spot. Uh, Jennifer Maya, you think she can contend in this division, Joe? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's just got to get her act together in terms of just, you know, focusing. But she, I think she's got the skill set. We all know that. I mean, it's just a matter of her trying to understand certain things. But, yeah, I believe she can. Well, the, the news hit right before we went on the air today, actually, about the Conor McGregor-Habib Nurmagomedov situation. Ali Abdelaziz not happy with some of the punishments handed down as well. But they, they did appear. John Jones is appearing today as well. But uh, lots of information here. We have a clearer picture of when Habib Nurmagomedov, Conor McGregor can fight again. Uh, James, the fines were a point of contention, it seemed. $500,000 for Nurmagomedov, McGregor $50,000. i am inclined to agree with that, that fine at the very least. Yeah, I am as well. Um, you, you can't jump outside the cage. I mean, that's just, it's dangerous. And, and yes, I realize the bar has been set pretty low just with the fact that McGregor threw a dolly at a bus, but that, that doesn't excuse the fact that these guys got to act like professionals. Do, leave the fighting in the ring or in the cage, I should say. And uh, yeah, I, I, you know, reading the punishments and everything, none, nothing surprised me. And, and I thought the fines were about right. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, I, not, nothing here really surprised me just seeing everything that we're, that's coming out right now. Teammates of Habib, uh, Abu Akbar, um, Nurmagomedov, and uh, Zabura Tukagov were given one-year suspensions and fined $25,000. And Ariel Hawani says that he doesn't expect Habib to fight until his teammates are no longer suspended, which would be October 2019, uh, and that Habib will reportedly pay for the fines of his teammates. I get some sense, uh, the sense of nobility that he might have, Joe, but to me, quite frankly, sitting out until your teammates aren't suspended is flat out stupid. But I want to know what you think. Yeah, well, it's it's the culture thing, right? It's it's what he believes in. It's what he. It, it's one of those things that it, they're they're wired differently than the way most people in North America think. So I completely get it. I completely understand it. And he wants to just put a stand out there. I mean, it, it, he got a nine month suspension. Can be retroactive because of you know if he does his community service with. Uh, the police force and everything like that. And, you know, if they like it, they accept it. You know, it can go down to six months in order to Connor. So uh, that's one thing there, but it's irrelevant. He may not even do that because he's like, well, four, if my teammates are going to be out, I'm staying out, right? Um, they think differently. They, that's just, they're, they're very proud, a uh, very proud portion and region of that world. So I, I don't, I'm not surprised. I mean, the reality is this. I mean, 
if there wasn't such a huge pay-per-view and, and money-making scenario, uh, you know, I don't know if anyone found it ironic that yesterday's UFC press release talked about how big this, uh, this pay-per-view <laughs> actually was yeah. the day before the actual hearing. So I think that was pretty strategic on the UFC's part. But uh, when it comes to Habib and, and, and his teammates, I mean, they're lucky they haven't got, they didn't get suspended for life. Because if it was anybody else, and if it wasn't this big of a name, they'd have been gone for life, probably, right? So it's it's you know money talks sometimes, guys. Well, let's talk about the suspensions. Conor McGregor uh, received a six month suspension. This is retroactive to October sixth, two thousand eighteen. Khabib Nurmagomedov was handed down a nine month suspension, but he can have it reduced to six if he participates in an anti bullying PSA ca- campaign. So November, December, January, we're about three, almost four months into the suspension anyway. So it Conor McGregor got a fine. That's what Conor McGregor got. He got a fine. And Habib Nurmagomedov, I'm sure if, well, I mean, if he wants to sit out, he doesn't have to do a PSA campaign. But, I mean, it, it's such a low effort way. It is the, the commission saying, here's a nice way for you to get out of this if you want to fight this summer. And if he does that, then he can fight. You can go ahead and schedule a fight with him and Tony Ferguson. James, what did you think of the suspensions that were handed down? Yeah, pretty much par for the course. Uh, of course, it's retroactive, so you know, really, they're not going to be missing too much time. Um, the thing I'd be curious with, as far as Habib fighting, is uh, you know, he, he obviously uh, does Ramadan, so you know, he won't be training during those months. Uh, so it could be a while before you see Habib back. And you know, I hate to use the the I word, but, uh, you know, it, it would be a while that, that he would be coming back to fight again. Yeah. So um, I, I'll, I'll have to I'm curious to see what the UFC does in this situation, because not having a lightweight champion fight for a while is is pretty I mean, it hurts the division. Right. And then you have Tony Ferguson, who rightfully deserves a shot. And there, there's so many pieces. So I, th- I think what um, to answer your question, I mean, yeah, the, the suspensions were about what I thought they were going to be. The real question now is, how are they going to do these fights? Because they have to figure out who's going to fight when. And, you know, like I said, Habib versus Tony should happen, but they got to be reasonable about it, too. You don't want to be sitting out an entire year. Yeah, uh, just so you guys know, Ramadan starts on May 5th, ends on June 4th. So, and you never know how long it'll take him to recover for something like that. And there are some fighters that, that fight through it, but... Don't know. Uh, Habib is traditionally not one of those guys. So as we look, how you can possibly fight through that, you got to be exactly tough as nails to go through yeah. that. Bilal Muhammad has, yeah, yeah. Bilal, I know Bilal did. I think Bilal fought actually on Titan one time during Ramadan. I was like, man, how? But guys are tough. Woo. So the thing is, if you schedule a fight right after that suspension ends, you're talking like early. You're talking like right at the beginning of Ramadan. That ain't happening. You think it caught, that Habib, of all people, is going to go into his fight not like with 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 that eating schedule the way that it is? Oh man! So we we could be looking at we could be looking at him just saying, you know what? I'll take the nine months. I wasn't going to train for a month there anyway, and then he would be preparing for the next two months. Wild situation that we have here. We'll have more on it at fightfulmma.com because. Uh, This situation is very much ongoing. Habib had (laughs) tweeted afterwards, always politics. Like he wasn't, he very clearly wasn't happy about this. But one thing I was happy about was Bellator 214. James, you were there live. You got a ton of content here on this channel. I know some of you still watching the pro wrestling channel. If you want to watch this show live, youtube.com slash Fightful MMA Boxing is the way to go. Uh, You got a ton of content. You talk to coaches, you talk to, to uh, athletic commission regulators, you talk to fighters. What was the vibe like 
in California for this show that UFC just they, they waved the flag and said we're not running an event that night. Yeah, it was great. There was a lot of media out there because of Fedor. I didn't realize how, you know, po- like I know how popular he is sort of in our bubble, but uh, just from, you know, like a Russian perspective, there was, he was mobbed. I didn't even get us anything on media day because I was going to have to wait about 20, 30 minutes to get there. And then I'd only get a couple interviews. So I didn't even bother. And I asked some of the Russian media members after, you know, what is Fedor like? like and he's just like a superstar over there. Like it's, it's just crazy. You know, we forget sometimes how big he is. So that was something that surprised me, but it was just cool to see all the different fighters that were there. Like, um, you know, they had John Fitch and Rory McDonald and Liam Lee McFarlane. Like they brought a bunch of fighters out, which I thought was good. I saw Douglas Lima there as well. Um, so it was like a good turnout. And then, uh, you know, you just had uh, a lot of different uh, camps out there and everything else. It was uh, it was a good vibe and a pretty good turnout. Like it felt like a big card, which, um, you know, certainly it was just with some of the names that were on there, uh, you know, like Fedor and Aaron Pico and everything else. But uh, it was it was a cool fight week. I actually really enjoyed it. And I was glad that I was able to get as much content as I did. So we'll have a story on it this week uh, out of the interview, but you did not answer this question on your Parting Shot MMA podcast. You Mm. interviewed John Fitch, who stated that when he found out wrestling wasn't real, he, quote, cut the dicks (laughs) off of his wrestling toys. Now, I have had a number of wrestling toys in my day, none of which had dicks. What kind of toys did John Fitch have? Valid point. yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. I just when, when he said it, I was just kind of like, uh, like I, I don't want to make this guy look like he's a serial killer or something like that. So I was kind of like, okay, that's something I've never heard before. So let, let let's move along. But uh, but yeah, John's a he's a different guy. I mean, Joe, you know, you've interviewed him a bunch of times. He's just uh, he he's out there, but but in a good way, you know. And uh, that that is a quote I'll probably never get to use again in an interview. So uh, you know, one of a kind thing right there. Oh, I was all too happy to put that on a thumbnail. I was yes. very excited to put that on a thumbnail, but. Uh, there were there were some boxing this weekend as well. We have a lot of content up on that. But when when I look at all the people that you talk to, James, I mean, you also talked to Rory McDonald. You talked to Elimelay McFarlane. You talked to Henry Corrales. Um, there there was there were there was quite a bit of buzz around this, and Bellator knew they they've got some things that fell into place for them. Uh, you had some some. I mean, Alex Perez was there too. Cleared up his status uh, about the the flyweight division. Uh, Matt Brown was there as well. Interviews with all those guys are up. Who stood out the most to you from a, a charisma standpoint that you talked to at this show? Um, well, actually, there was there was one interesting interview. Uh, I'm sure some people have seen it. This uh, Thor Skanky guy who fought on the undercard. That guy is just uh, he's he's a what character a name. man. He he literally just uh, yeah. First off, <laughs> what a name, but also just this guy. Like he kept making fun of the media when we were asking him questions. He's like like he pointed out to me like, hey, you in the blue blazer. By the way, I like that. Hey, you who looks like John Cena. Like he was just like ha- I've never seen anything like that in an interview. And this guy's you know a journeyman. He's 35 years old. He's 11 and eight. And, uh, you know, he got a first round finish. I thought that was a big surprise. But for me, the interview of the weekend for me was Freddie Roach. Um, I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a casual boxing fan, but obviously someone who's paid attention to it. And I've never got to interview him. And it was one of those things where, you know, Pico's wrapping up his press conference. I'm like, I got to shoot my shot. So, you know, went over there, got about two minutes with him. And uh, it was great, you know, to hear from him, uh, you know, legendary coach, obviously working with Manny Pacquiao. So I was really happy I got to get, get his perspective. And obviously disappointing night for him with uh, Pico getting finished uh, in that fight. Yeah, uh, my, one of my writers, Jeremy Lambert, when he was getting the the interviews published, he was like, "Man, this Thor guy rules!" <laughs> like he, that was one that, that stood out to him. But we had the actual event, and a lot of the buzz surrounded Jake Hager, the former Jack Swagger, had just a wealth of WWE support on a really busy WWE weekend. 
Now, Joe, I know you and James don't exactly follow a lot of wrestling, but this show and Swagger, Jack Swagger, Jake Hager's fight, went up about 20, 30 minutes after WWE had a pretty big show on Saturday night. I thought that was clever. I thought it was smart. I thought it was good business for a company that we don't always exactly herald their business decisions, Joe. Yeah, it was very smart, very intelligent. Uh, I do want to ask James, though, one thing, because I I was just looking online, and sorry if I didn't fit there and I didn't see it. What was the attendance uh, in the venue? Do you know? I, I didn't get exact figures, but um, I know the uh, I believe like the actual like gate was like really strong uh, from from what I saw. Um, I, I I haven't seen any because it was one of those things that got back, you know, just basically had to go be a dad as soon as I got home. So I've missed a lot of the post stuff because a lot of that happened after I was uh, yeah, no, done. So, yeah, the, anyway. the reason why I'm asking is this, you know, every time, you know, during the post fight interview, when Jake was being interviewed by by Big John McCarthy, the the audio that I had was like, is there anybody there? Like, is anybody reacting to what he's saying? Like, it just seems like such a dead crowd. I mean, there was more, you know, craziness at Titan this past week. And then, then what I saw there, I thought, you know, because he went off a little bit. Uh, I don't know if that's a shtick, Sean, if that's what he usually did when he was at uh, WWE. But I was expecting yeah. a much louder cheer. Well, I don't know that a lot of people even know, knew who he was in yeah. that regard. I mean, different different crowd. But I know that it got an awful lot of buzz. There were a lot of people happy. And he wasn't the biggest star in WWE. He got a world championship. He had a title match at WrestleMania, won money in the bank, and those are all great accomplishments. But to a lot of people, Jake Hager was seen as a bust. But James, I know you can attest to this too. He couldn't be more unlike his pro wrestling character. He's a very friendly, happy, positive guy, uh, Jack Jack Swagger is. So uh, still got a lot of friends there. I was very surprised that R-Truth wrap him to the cage because you all may remember CM Punk, the night before Royal Rumble, was supposed to walk Chael Sonnen to the cage and, in Chicago. Same city, even, as the Royal Rumble, I believe. I, I can't remember where exactly they were, but was disallowed, wasn't allowed to do that. But Jake Hager beat a guy that he should have beaten, but when, I, I don't know how many fights J.W. Kaiser really has. He claims he has 50. But uh, Joe, he shut this guy down with, with the quickness and did exactly what he was supposed to do. I like the takedown. I mean, yeah. um, well, when you have that height and you have that length and that reach and that span, the way his left hand went down and pulled the ankle, pulled the leg, took off the balance, and then dropped him down the mat and then proceeded to work. Uh, again, we're talking about a, a gentleman who's green in the sport, but um, you know, he knew going in there that the difference between you know life and MMA is you're going to get punched in the face, and then it's how you react when you get punched in the face. So I thought he did a pretty good job. That squeeze, no doubt, is probably extremely tight uh, that even a heavyweight would have a hard time fighting it off. But you know, it's good. It's he got his victory. He got his debut out of the way. Uh, we all know what happens when guys make their sophomore effort. It's going to be a little bit more challenging. Uh, now you're, you're, you know, quote unquote undefeated, even though it's it's one fight. Uh, but yeah, I, I I was pleasantly impressed. I mean, it's it's weird how the 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 submission took place. I mean, I think you heard Big John basically saying if he can get off to the side, uh, it's going to be much tighter. But that power uh, was was strong enough to take out Kaiser. So good on him, James. What do you think of this fight? I thought uh, poor Dwayne Finley's brother, uh, J.W. Kaiser, uh, getting getting <laughs> defeated in that one. But no, uh, in all seriousness, um, yeah, I mean, this this couldn't have gone better for Bellator and, and for Hager as well. Um, you know, give him a guy with a little bit of experience. Uh, you go and fight him. Uh, it's funny, Kaiser in the interview said he was a 25 to 1 underdog. I looked it up. I think he was only like plus 350 or something, it was, or maybe plus 500. So it wasn't that much of a gap. But uh, 
I mean, this was this was smart on on all ends. I think Bellator got what they wanted. I think uh, you know Kaiser, even though they only got seven grand, I mean that's probably more than he's ever made in the regional scene. So um, you know, good good for him, and uh, you know, good result for for Bellator. And look, you know, Hager is thirty six, but it's heavyweight. You can build him up a little bit, give him more opponents like this, get him a little bit more comfortable in the cage. We didn't really learn a lot from this fight, other than obviously uh, Hager, you know, was able to use his wrestling and able to use his submission game. So I'm excited to see what happens next for Hager as he tries to build momentum uh, in his career. Juan Archuleta emerges victorious over Ricky Bandeas. Archuleta, a sneaky 22-1. and one. He's got to be in the conversation now, James. Absolutely. And this was a close fight. Um, I had a lot of people actually, uh, you know, say that they felt like Bandeas won the fight. Uh, you know, Bandeas, uh, you know, ha- had a little bit better striking, but I think it was those takedowns by Archuleta that really made the difference in the fight. So he ekes by. This is a big win for him. I mean, if you look at Archuleta's career, this is probably the biggest win he's had. Um, you know, I know Robbie Peralta is a UFC vet, but I mean, Bandeas, uh, you know, had some good wins as well heading into this one. Um, but he's talking about going up to 155 and going up to, you know, all these other weight classes and, you know, that's great and everything, but I think he'd be better off just holding it out. Obviously they have the rematch between Horiguchi and Caldwell that's going to happen. And by the way, Darian Caldwell was there. I was surprised they didn't get him in the cage or have some sort of update about that fight with Horiguchi. Cause I know he was there and San Diego's not that close to uh, LA. Um, so that, that was interesting, but, uh, but yeah, if I were him, I'd wait it out. Cause I think right now he's the number one contender at 135, and then, you know, he could fight the winner of Horiguchi and Caldwell. We also had Aaron Pico getting blasted, started strong, didn't last long. Henry Corrales picks up a big win over Aaron Pico. And the experience of opponents is something that we've discussed on this show before. Seems like it was a little too much for him, Joe. Um, In looking at that fight, uh, James, you know Antonio Carvalho, right? Of course, yeah. Yeah, so um, UFC vet. So he was one of my main trainers back in the day whenever we used to spar. And we used to do this drill uh, that Shaw Franco used to teach all the pro fighters at the time, never go to the well too often. Never go, never do the same technique over and over again because your your opponent's going to eventually catch on to it. And this exact drill, guys, was from the clinch and throwing body shots, but then throwing one to the head or throwing body shots and then get, getting back in there and not leaving yourself exposed. Uh, and one time I did leave myself exposed and caught a knee to the ribs. Did the drill again, started sparring, did it a couple more times, and that time, Carvalho picked me up, double legged me to the ground. I learned my lesson. And whenever I would do a technique, I would never throw it more than twice. If you look at what Pico was doing to Corrales, he had the clinch and he threw the body shot to three. And it was after that third one that Corrales just said, you're done. Popped him. It was game over. It just reminded me of that uh, training. And I'm talking like 15 years ago, stuff that, that I figured out there. But was always taught never go to the well uh, that often. Be cognizant of what you're throwing. But yeah, like you said, Sean, he just got yeah, he got whooped, man. And he had to fight one. He just had to, you know, Big John said it. Don't go in there for the kill. You got 15 minutes to do this. You hurt your opponent. Try and go in there for the finish. If it doesn't work, be very cognizant of your defense. All due respect to Josh Thompson, but in his analysis after the fight, he said, quote, Aaron Pico's got to realize that boxing gloves are much larger than MMA gloves. And I said, wow. <laughs> that was a sweetheart deal you got to sign with Bellator. My God, but Aaron Pico is still 22 years old, a young 22 as well. I just turned it in, in uh, September. Six fights since uh, June 2017. Do you think he should maybe take a step back, James? 
That's the interesting thing here because the big question, and you know, I've seen this all over social media. Everyone's saying, you know, Pico's a bust. He's got a bad chin. All this stuff. I mean, we, we, you know, we talk about the worst in MMA. It definitely came out this weekend with Aaron Pico. But here's the thing about this matchup. Like, I truly believe that this was the right matchup. You know, people say that it was too much too soon. The reality is Aaron Pico defeated four fighters after Zach Freeman in highlight real fashion, guys that he should have beat, but he did so impressively. So what do you do? You give him a guy like Corrales, who if you look at his winning streak, none of those names were really huge names. I mean, they were, you know, decent fighters and it was a good winning streak, but I think this was the right, I mean, the, the win that got him the Pico fight was Andy Main. That's not like a, a household name. So I don't have an issue with the matchmaking here. And, you know, Pico was asked, Brett Okamoto asked him at the press conference saying, you know, what, what is next? Like, do you want to take a step down, fight some low level guys? He basically said, no, he's like, and, and he got kind of serious. You know, Pico's a really, um, if you see his interviews, he's very like uh, politically, not, not politically correct, but he's just very like professional in his interviews. You can tell he's been polished with all that, but you saw him get at a character for a second and, and, you know, he got really serious and he's like, I'm telling you right now, if I fight guys that are low, lower level, I will hurt them. Like, and he looked like dead in the eyes and I've never seen him sort of break that professionalism. Not, not that it was unprofessional, but just, you sort of saw him being really honest at that moment. And I agree with him because you know, if he fights another Lee Morrison, he'll probably knock him out. The issue here is that, and he talked about it, is that he's got to use his wrestling more. That's your bread and butter. It reminds me of when Ronda Rousey knocked out Betch Cahaya, and then all of a sudden she thought she was this amazing stand-up fighter, and then she fights Holly Holm the worst way possible, trying to outbox her, and she gets knocked out. Same thing happened here. I think Pico, you know, relied too heavily on his boxing. I think he also, um, you know, underestimated Corrales' uh, knockout power because, uh, you know, you talk to other fighters that have fought Corrales, he hits really hard. So he paid the price here. But to answer your question... I think he should take a step down, but get someone that's notable. The fight that I think that makes sense is Pat Curran. Curran's barely fought. He's a former champion. He's getting up there in age. Curran's not really too much of a threat with the stand-up game. I think that's a fight that would be good for both guys because Curran needs to reinvent himself a little bit. He's been out of the picture for a while. And Pico, it's a fight that I think he could be competitive in, assuming he doesn't go for this you know, completely highlight reel brawling style. I, I think he's just got to slow the, the brakes down a little bit on that. I like the matchup. I do think Curran is, is, is a damn good striker. Uh, but I do like the matchup. I think it's fair on both sides. Yeah, wouldn't be opposed to seeing them run that Zach Freeman fight back. Why not? Yeah. If he's if he's picked up the second loss and he can't, Pico can't say I would hurt that guy. Maybe he would hurt Zach Freeman. But as we've seen in the past, Zach Freeman is a very live dog. Uh, Ryan Bader, what can we break down about this fight? He cracked Fedor with the lead left hook, and he is a way better fighter than Fedor Emelianenko. Bader has said, I believe that he has one fight left on his deal, but is looking to re-sign with Bellator. So he is somewhat loyal to them. Isn't sure of, uh, he's also said some weird stuff. Like he would like to fight Tito Ortiz and King or people like that. And not like Vadim Nemkov. James, what kind of vibe did you get from him? Because there's nothing to break down in the fight. He knew what Fedor was going to do. And then he threw a lead left hook. He broke it down in the post fight beautifully, I thought. He knew exactly what Fedor was going to do and immediately crumbled him. I think with Bader, he holds all the cards here. I mean, he's the double champ. Um, you know, you just think of where he was a couple of years ago when he couldn't even get a fight with Daniel Cormier. And now he's the man in Bellator. He's a two division champion. Uh, he holds all the cards. It doesn't surprise me to hear him talk about Tito or these other fights because really, I mean, for him, it's about the money at this point. He's accomplished. I mean, I, I guess the one fight you do want to see, you know, not looking, not taking anything away from Czech Congo, but I think Minikov will probably win that fight. And then you get that fight. That's sort of the last step. But who at light heavyweight would give him a challenge? Who at heavyweight would give him a challenge other than Minikov. I think at this point, and you know, he's not too old, but I think he's looking for these paydays. And I think, you know, if he fought Tito, 
people would watch that fight. You know, he did lose to Tito. That was probably his most embarrassing loss. If you look on his resume, just because he was so heavily favored and Tito really shouldn't have won that fight. And he did. Um, so I sort of got the sense that he knows that he's the man right now. And I think Bellator knows that too. And I think they're going to start to put together some fun matchups and when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm sure he'll fight Minikov, but um, I, I think you're going to see a lot more sort of, uh, you know, notable fights for him because because he's earned it, man. Like I had that tweet on Saturday about how he never got a title shot in the UFC. And of course, all these people are like, you realize actually that Bellator doesn't have as many good fights. It's like, I know that. I'm just pointing out that this guy's finally getting his due, you know, that he's he's getting, you know, titles in a different organization. Like people act like I don't know the difference between it's, Bellator and the UFC. It's weird to me that people act like Phil Davis, Linton Vassell, and King Mo were walks in the park. That jumping up and fighting, even though it was a walk in the park for Bader, on paper that him fighting those two guys that, that was not a walk in the park. Not and, just that. Yeah, I was I'm sorry to interrupt just quickly. Like someone said, his biggest win is is, is Little Nog. I was like, uh, he knocked out Ira Latifi, and last time I checked, Corey Anderson said he deserved a title shot after going to a decision with Latifi. Bader knocked him out. So it's like you know, there's all these people who don't really look at his resume, and you look at the losses he did have. Top notch competition. Other than Tito, you know, Rumble Johnson, Glover, John Jones. Like he's fought Rampage. guys. Rampage, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, he's OSP even still hanging around in that division right now. Yeah. Phil Davis, if he's in the UFC right now, he's probably a top five, top ten guy. I, I, I don't get that. I, I don't understand it. Also, the complete hilarity of the fact that this title was being decided because Vitaly Minikov was not in Bellator, and now he's being talked about as the next contender for the title that he never lost. It's 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 insane. But as we've seen with Chet Congo, man, he was he was on a hot streak after those decisions. Now that he's deciding to put people to sleep, hey, cool. But I mean, I think it. I think it was Chael Sonnen that said, "Anytime you're booked against Chael Sonnen or uh, Chet Congo, you know you're probably going to have the worst fight of the night." And that's something that you do run into. Uh, Joe, what's next for Bader? I mean, I think the Minikov Congo winner does make sense. It's I there. think it makes perfect sense. Yeah, but uh, James kind of hit it on that. You know, Bader's got all the cards here. To ter- now, it's going to. I think it's going to determine. Um, money like where where's the money fight if you ask me he's 35 years old uh he does want to defend both titles so he do he still has some time if you're doing this right now at 35 years old and the promotion that you're with you probably bought yourself a few more years so um you know tito ortiz is is, is blah, blah blah chatting him up uh you know bader would like to get avenge that loss guaranteed uh, and that's a pretty big money fight in terms of probably ratings uh and people would like to see that not everybody would like to see it but i'm pretty sure that uh, it's a money fight. And, you know, the bottom line at this point in Bader's career, in my opinion, and I could be dead wrong with this one here, you know, where's the better reward versus the risk, right? It's, it's always risk versus reward. But if I can get a bigger reward fighting a guy in, in Tito Ortiz, as an example, the guy that I think I can beat versus a Minikoff or a Congo who can knock my head through into the second row and I get paid less, I'm going for Tito. I, I got one for you guys for the future, assuming that everything holds up. Ryan Bader, Gegard Musashi, your yeah. middleweight champion, 
who beat your welterweight champion, who has competed as a light heavyweight very successfully, I might add, even competed as a heavyweight successfully, that is, for Bellator, a super, super, super fight. It's like these guys have controlled practically four divisions if you include Musashi beating the welterweight champion. Uh, but that, that could hold up a lot of stuff. Not that Bellator ever cares. Their champions used to fight, like, defend their titles once every, like, six years, for the love of God. <laughs> hey, maybe Cole Conrad will show back up. I'd be down for that, too. We miss you, Cole. UFC Fortaleza takes place this weekend, February 2nd. Got some it's, it's sneaky, decent card here. You have Junior Albini on the prelims. You have uh, Tiago Alves. And Max Griffin on the prelims. You have Marcus Perez, Anthony Hernandez, uh, not to be confused with Alex Hernandez, on the ESPN Plus prelims. You have a top 15 in, how do you say her name, Joe? Uh, Ma- Mara. Yeah. R- Romero. Romero Borella. There you go. <laughs> I'm not going to do that one the disservice. <laughs> what, what stands out to you on these prelims, James? Uh, I actually really like, I mean, there's a couple of fights. Uh, the Ricardo Ramos and Sadner Magomedov fight at Bantamweight is going to be just a killer fight. If you remember, Ramos was supposed to fight Ricky Simone. He had an injury. Now they rebooked him against Magomedov. This should be a banger. Um, you know, Ramos, uh, you know, quite the talent. He could go 4-0 in the UFC here. So uh, lots of interesting stuff there. Um, and then, you know, Biblitov's always, always exciting. Uh, the flyweight, I'm actually, I mean, again, it helps have Ali as your manager because, uh, you know, I, I'm surprised they have another flyweight fight booked here. But, uh, you know, he's 14-1. and one. He had that upset loss to, uh, you know, Moraga knocked him out. So let's see if he can get back on the winning track here. That, that's an interesting fight. But the, the Max Griffin and, um, and uh, uh, Thiago Alves fight should be great. Veteran versus, you know, sort of an up-and-comer. I mean, Griffin is a bit of a veteran at this point as well. But uh, I'm curious to see, does Alves still have it, have it you know, in terms of the division? Um, he's, he's gone on a bit of a rough stretch, but Griffin, uh, you know, he has that win over Mike Perry, but, you know, he had that loss to Millinder in his last fight. So let's see if he can get back on the winning track. Uh, just really interesting fight. And uh, interestingly enough, Hernandez and Perez, two former LFA middleweight champions going to war, which should be interesting. And Hernandez, this is his debut. If you remember, he was supposed to make his debut, I believe on the Denver card, but he had the uh, suspension for marijuana. So uh, so now he's finally making his debut. 6-0, and trains with Aspen Ladd at MMA Gold. Should be a good, fun fight there. Uh, two middleweights who really looking to prove themselves in the division max griffin has not had an easy go of it when it comes to bookings in 2015 he ran a td in jaquani 2016 colby covington 2017 uh, uh zaleski dos santos and last year curtis melender oh by the way he lost all those fights so obviously steps up in competition can be really rough for him but i don't know that tiago alves is that step up in competition at least anymore uh He's won one of his last five fights, and Patrick Cote was that win, and Cote retired and joined Fightful immediately after that. So, I mean, it's I, – I, I'm pull, I'm not pulling. I'm predicting Griffin to take that one. Uh, you have Junior Albini, who's a fringe top 15 heavyweight there, and if he can get a win, that would go what along. What happens if he doesn't get that win because that's three straight losses? That's rough for him, especially knowing what we know about him, yeah, about right? about his lifestyle. But I think that he'll probably end up in PFL if he <laughs> – probably <laughs> PFL or somewhere like that. He'll land on his feet, I think, because I, I think that TKO win over Timothy Johnson will go quite a ways. Uh, people will remember that at the very least. And honestly, he'll probably do pretty well in PFL. 
Joe, anybody on this this UFC Fortaleza prelim card that you're you're looking forward to seeing? For me, it's my dude Albini. That story tugged at yeah. my heartstrings. Always, it'll always do it, man. And dude, I'm a dad. You know, I know exactly. Uh, you know, sometimes the sacrifices you have to make. But I'm I'm more concerned that because of the, you know, the 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 appreciation we had from him since day one, um, could be very dangerous right now because you know this is this this could be a third straight loss. Uh, you know, I I don't want to see him go, but. He's got to merge victorious, man. I know he got his neck squeezed out of him in his last fight. Uh, and that Arlovsky fight, I think you and I were kind of like, what is he doing? Like, why is he fighting like this, right? Um, so it remains to be seen which Junior Albini um, mixed martial artist shows up. That's the one that uh, I'm paying attention to. You know, nine times out of ten, Thiago Alves fights. I'm all over it. He was one of my favorite strikers or his style. Uh, the way he buries his chin behind his shoulders and his elbows when he would strike was always one of my favorites. But Max Griffin, like James said, he's a vet too. I mean, people don't realize that, but it's going to be a sick fight. Um, the ramos Nurmagomedov meta fight, yeah, I'm going to be paying attention to that one, kids, because that one's going to be a good scrap. That one will probably steal the show. But uh, too. T- yeah, to answer your question, it's Junior Albini. I'd like to see what's going to happen with him. Here's some of the odds that Ramos uh, is minus 115, Nurmagomedov minus 105, so pick him there. Albini, a minus 115. And uh, Rosenstruck is minus 105, so another one there. Very, very competitive in that regard. You have Kolaris at a plus 115. DeFritez, minus 135. Bibilatov is minus 400, by far the biggest uh, favorite on this show. Vontaren, plus 325. You have Max Griffin at a minus 210. Tiago Alves, plus 175. Santos, a minus 160, while Barela is... Uh, plus 140. I would maybe get in on that. We'll talk about that later. Marcus Perez, a plus 150. Hernandez, a minus 170. You have Justin Ledet, a plus 175. Johnny Walker, a... God damn it. (laughs) 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 Oh, damn. Susan, a minus 225. Frota, a plus 185. James. God damn it. What am I doing? Here we go. Don't worry. I'll, I'll keep the puns up. Is there any value on Johnny Walker, even though he'll be expensive? There's always value on a Johnny Walker. There, there's, yeah, exactly. Um, there, there's all, you know, cause you never know. Uh, you know, I, I personally, I would take him straight, uh, you know, minus 210, you know, that's, uh, that's definitely a uh, good value on, on that we'll one. No, 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 you'll end up on the floor. Yeah. I think they know what they're doing here. Okay. Let, let's just look at this from an objective standpoint. Okay. Johnny Walker defeats Khalil Roundtree, who in my opinion is, you know, was, was, you know, pretty, pretty talented himself on the ultimate fighter and everything like that. That was a huge win. Now he's fighting Justin Ledette, who I think, you know, a lot of people are surprised is still, still in the organization. Uh, this is in Brazil. I, I think you kind of know what they're doing here. They, they want him to get another big win here and then sort of propel. Now Ledette's got that kind of, I got nothing to lose attitude, but uh, you know, for Walker, I mean, he should win this fight, but uh, again, and, and he's actually has more fights than Ledette. I'm looking here; he's got he's 15 and three. I mean, Walker should win, but I don't know. This just seems like it's it's one of those fights that the UFC sort of is setting up here for Walker to to look good. So, if you're going to play it straight, if you really want to, uh, you know, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, Johnny Walker will probably win that. Well, Ledette had started off three and zero in the UFC at heavyweight, and then moved down to light heavyweight and got beat by Rockage. I'm I'm a little surprised he hung around at light heavyweight. I figured maybe he would jump back up. But uh, that didn't end up happening. You have Souza, who did win her UFC debut in September. That's good, especially after the hiccup against Angela Hill a couple years back. She is, and not only that, she regularly has like performance of the nights, fights of the nights, and Invicta. Uh, and 
won in 80 seconds via a finish in the UFC. That's a good, that's a good uh, first impression to make. A guy who constantly makes good impressions and sometimes bad ones, Charles Oliveira, looking to extend his uh, record-setting ways against David Tamer. What are you expecting out of this fight, Joe? Naturally speaking, you would think that Oliveira is like, I want another submission. I want another submission. That's what he's good at, right? He's got. He actually does have good striking. If you go back to when he first got into the UFC, he knew how to use that length versus his opponents. And then as soon as he ran into Jim Miller the first time, uh, that's when things changed because he got tapped out. And and then you know kind of had that up and down run. But this guy's a submission specialist. If he can get a hold of you in some way somehow, uh, but there was always always back in the day questions about his heart. If you hurt him, hurt him early, and let him force the fight in a different manner. He can knock this guy out, or he'll find a way to, to, to you know, get out of the fight. And, and Tamar has that ability. So uh, I like the fight. I just think Oliveira is going to do anything and everything to continue to pad that record of submissions. James, this is very much a styles make fight. Fight. You have a jiu-jitsu guy in Oliveira. You have an accomplished kickboxer in Tamer who is hard to finish. 5-0 and in the UFC. He also went 2-1. and uh, But the, the fight he lost on tough was only a two-rounder. So who knows what would have happened with that extra round. Hard it's like I count them if they're finishes, but I don't really count them if they're they're two round majority wins or anything like that. But the the odds have Oliveira at minus one twenty, Tamer at plus one hundred. I think those are fair. But I want to know the odds that you're giving it that Charles Oliveira says that he wants to move back to featherweight if he wins this fight. <laughs> Yeah, minus a thousand for sure. I mean, that, that's that's every fight for him. Um, you know, I, I get Oliveira being the favorite here, uh, you know, with his experience and obviously his submissions as well. But Tamer's never been submitted in his career. He's a guy that can turn a really exciting fight kind of boring. I mean, uh, you look at the win over Lentz, you look at the win over Jakar Close. I mean, those are good wins. If you look at both those guys, what they've been doing after losing to Tamer, uh, they, they've been both uh, doing quite well. Um, so I, I think there is some value here on Tamer, uh, you know, as, as far as this matchup goes, because while he doesn't have the experience, he is a guy that can always take a fighter out of their element. And that includes Oliveira. You know, if he's able to stuff some of those takedowns and avoid the ground, I, I think it's a fight that he can win. So, um, you know, like I said, Oliveira is rightfully the favorite, but uh, don't be surprised if Tamer pulls this one off. Sneaky good fight here, as is Damian Maya, minus 180 plus Lyman Good, 158. Man, this is. Lyman Good's chance. He had the hiccup against Dos Santos. It was a split decision, though, and knowing what we know about Dos Santos, that loss looks a little bit better to uh, a year and a half later. He beat Ben Saunders. He beat Andrew Craig. But to me, this is, gosh, well, I can't say the biggest test of his career because he fought Ben Askren. But if he beat Damian Maya, by far the biggest win in his career and for Damian Maya, Joe, it's it's a guy who's trying to retain relevance. He's trying to to uh, stay around. He's lost three fights in a row. Ah, oh, man, I don't know if the UFC would cut him. I don't think they would do that, especially when they're running Brazil shows. But a fourth loss on his record, especially if it's a one-sided loss for Damian Maya, cannot be good. I've got Lyman Good in this fight, though. Man, look at who look at those who those three losses were that Damian Maya just, just lost. Yeah. Tyron Woodley, the world champion, Colby Covington, the interim champion, Kamaru Usman, who's fighting for gold in March. Those are the three guys that Damian Maya has lost to. So to hell with the UFC matchmakers if he loses to Lyman Good uh, to cut him. No, I don't think so. That's absolutely not right. Although I do believe that <clears throat> excuse me, Damian Maya does emerge victorious. So sorry, Sean. James, what do you think? 
Yeah, I just to me, it's really hard to ignore those losses because they were so high level. Um, you you know, if you look at the competition and then how about some of his wins here recently? You know, George Masvidal, Carlos Condit. I know Condit's had a bit of a rough go, but that Matt Brown one was good. Um, I just think that even though Maya is 41 and in and, and situations like this, you tend to favor the younger fighter. And I know good, you know, no pun intended, has has looked pretty good in his career. I mean, that fight, go watch that fight he had with Askren. I mean, Askren's face was beat up in that one. That was probably a you know, much closer fight than people give it credit for. But I don't like the layoff that he's had. You remember he had that USADA issue. Um, you know, he hasn't fought as much. Uh, he's going to Brazil as well, which, you know, uh, I mean, I think that does give Maya a bit of an advantage there. I'm going Maya in this one. I just, I have to, it kind of goes, I'm kind of going in the opposite of what I said in the last fight, because, uh, you know, Maya clearly has the experience here, but sure. um, I, I think, I think Maya pulls this one off. I think uh, this is, he'll, he'll get, I think here, listen, I'll predict this. I think he's going to get the win by decision. I don't think he'll get a submission. And I think he retires. I'm going to call well, it right one now. second. Wow. Um, um, that's a good call, James. Wow. Okay. Uh, of those three losses, guys, each one went to the decision. He didn't get finished. He went to the yeah. decision with those three guys. So, well, that's that's the case with Lyman Good as well. When he loses, one, he's losing to pretty good fighters. Dos Santos, Andre Koreshkov, Ben Askren. You got the Rick Hahn fight in there too, but that was a very, very close fight. We could I get the feeling we're in <laughs> in for a fifteen minute fight here and uh might not exactly be a crowd pleaser. You speak about retiring, James. Jose Aldo says that he is retiring. He is a plus one oh five underdog against Moicano. Whew. Never thought I'd see the day where a 32-year-old Jose Aldo would be an underdog. And it's against Moicano. Now, the only people to beat Jose Aldo since 2006 are Max Holloway and Conor McGregor. Before I even break this down, which way are you leaning? I'm leaning Moicano in this fight, but I think that the value certainly is on Aldo. And actually, there was a point, I believe, when he fought Jeremy Stevens where he was an underdog and, and then it flipped back again. Um, the, the thing that I look at here is just that at, at some point, you know, Aldo's got to slow down a little bit. I realize he's not that old, but you, you do look at the damage. You do look at, you know, some of the things he's had to overcome, um, you know, just mentally losing the way he did against Connor. His last fight certainly silenced a lot of those critics, but I think Moicano is just getting better and better. His only loss is to Ortega. Um, you know, this guy was the backup for, for Holloway, um, you know, and, um, and Ortega when they were fighting. Uh, clearly, you know, his record speaks for itself. I was just so impressed even last year that when he had over Calvin Cater, how dominating he was. I think he's ready. And, and he, you know, he said it, uh, you know, in an interview where he's just like, you know, it, it's my time. I'm, I'm the younger guy. I'm ready to do this. I, I, I think he does it here. But saying that, I think the value here is on Aldo just because of his experience and everything else. So if you're going to bet this fight, definitely go Aldo. But I think Moicano pulls this off. Jose Aldo is a rare, I got five on it for me. I'll give my picks. Uh, I mean, a rare, I got five on it at plus 105. Joe, you've been covering Jose Aldo for a very, very long time. He's got a lot of tools that would almost seem overpowered to some degree. You look at a guy that body composition and what he specializes in, and you think, well, he shouldn't be as good at that. He shouldn't be as good at, good at that. But it's it's a question of when and how much those skills have diminished. Now, that being said, Jose Aldo can still beat people. We we know that. I mean, we, we've seen that. He beat Jeremy Stevens, flattened him in July. He says he's wrapping up his career. We'll talk about that in a moment, but I want to know how you feel about this fight. It's a tough one to break down, you know, logistically, because when you take a look at who Jose Aldo Jr. actually is, you'd automatically, your brain goes into, like, nobody can beat this guy other than Conor McGregor and Max Holloway. But 
Um, you know, he's not getting any younger. Uh, and McConnell, you know, and let's let's be honest. Despite the two Max Holloway defeats, there's always going to be guys that have your number. Uh, Max Holloway clearly has uh, Aldo Jr.'s number. Uh, but he comes back and he, like you said, flattens Jeremy Stevens, who was on uh, a pretty spectacular run uh, at the time. I mean, he, he had three straight wins at that time. Now, there were, were they world-class opponents? Maybe you can make the argument, no. But Josh Emmett was pretty damn good. Duhoy Choi was fantastic. And, and Gilbert Melendez at the time, you know, took a beating in his legs, right? So, but then you take a look at Moicano. And, and with Moicano, um, you know, taking out Cub Swanson is very, very impressive, as is Calvin Qatar, although that one was a decision. So it's a tough fight to break down. I'm still going to lean towards Jose Aldo Jr., but be interesting to see if Moicano can do this and, and how the Brazilian fans react and how the UFC reacts and, and what could be next for uh, for Aldo. I, I still firmly believe that uh, at some point he's going to have to make that decision to move up to 155 pounds if he wants to continue his career. Jose Aldo opted to take a three-round fight instead of a five-round fight, says that he's going to retire at the end of the year. We'll reassess this. Don't know if we're doing a post-show live or if we'll cover it next week, but that will definitely be a hot topic of conversation, win or lose, because otherwise UFC is kind of, I don't know, a bit of a benefit when booking him if he's announced his retirement because you don't have to put him in a title contending fight. I mean, if you're if he wants to fight three more times, you can give him just some absolute scrub as a showcase in Brazil to end his year, but we'll see how that all ends up. No scrubs involved in Rafael Assuncao and Marlon Marias. Would you know? I wouldn't be mad if either one of these had got a title shot. And quite frankly, I feel for these guys. I feel for both of these guys that their division has not only been held up because of the Dillashaw Cejudo fight, but now because of TJ Dillashaw's probable stubbornness in not accepting a loss. Who knows if either one of these men will actually get a title shot? We have Marlon Marias, who probably should have won their last fight, Joe, but didn't. <laughs> What adjustments do you think that he has made to ensure that he doesn't have a victory taken from him? Yeah, that was an extremely close fight, and I think you and I both scored it for for Marlon back in the day. Um, that was what 2017 June. So, um, I, he's, I, he's a minus one seventy favorite over a Sun Sal plus one fifty right now. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna lie to you guys, James. I'm not sure if you'll you'll agree, but I got this is a pick 'em. But these guys are that close, in my yep. opinion, and that skilled. We saw what happened in the first one. It was a very close fight, but I think Marlon did do enough to earn the victory. The difference is that was you know a headliner on, on a Fox. This is a main event. This is a five round fight. So this is the opportunity now for Marlon to you know not only redeem that loss, but don't be in a rush, man. Don't be in a rush because we see how explosive he can be uh, in the opening minutes of a fight. Uh, Asun Sal is going to just be calm. Asun Sal can stay in that third gear the minute that fight starts and just cruise all the way for 25 minutes unless a finish presents itself. So uh, I think we're going to see a very methodical fight here. I mean, it could be wrong. It's a fight, right? But a very methodical fight unless something presents itself. So look for these guys to, to you know, slightly win 10, nine rounds each. And I think the final round will determine who's going to win this fight. It's going to be a fantastic fight because they're so evenly matched. And I think it's going to be great. James, 80% of fans and 95% of media gave the first fight to Marias. A Sun Sal, you know, one of the big questions I had, and I'll never forget, it was the talking point the week that we launched Fightful. Uh, a Sun Sal hadn't fought in almost two years and he had a really bad ankle injury. And his first opponent back was TJ Dillashaw. And I'm thinking, man, you had a major ankle injury. You're fighting at 135, and that's the guy they put you up against. 
And based on the performances against Sterling and Marias, it did seem like it took a little while for him to get his legs back underneath him because that is not a division to be in if you have this restricted footwork and you have a, a lingering ankle injury. Well, the Matt Lopez fight, he picked up a big KO. He really made an impact on Rob Font. <laughs> but <laughs> Underline that performance. But we're yeah. running this one back for a year, a year and a half later. I, I as close as I think the skill set is, I think some of the physical tools favor Marlon Marias. But I want to know what you think. Yeah, this this really comes down to just I, I think they're both equally skilled. I just think that if you look at the two, Marias has got that power factor, and so at any point in the fight, he can't end it. Whereas a Sun Sao, he does have that win, but it, he only seems can, to get finishes over lower level competition. A lot of his wins are by decision. They're close fights. I mean, we can't ignore them either. That win over Rob Font just back in July or whenever it was that that was an impressive win. I mean, Rob's a really top guy in, in that division. Marias, um, I mean, he's just looked unstoppable. It's almost like losing that fight actually made him more motivated because the the finishes he got after that have just been amazing especially the jimmy rivera one rivera was on a huge winning streak and then uh, he went out there and finished him in 33 seconds so i'm in a favor Moraes, but again it's one of those situations where i think there is some value on a sunset because he is one of those guys that can bring you into his world make it kind of a boring fight and pull off a decision here um i do like i do got to point this out though in the first fight i, I know like i actually i, I thought a sunset won the fight but i thought it was funny that ali Moraes's manager said oh the judges were just biased well, they're both Brazilian. So how is one bias over the other? So I thought that was funny. But uh, I, we could expect to see another close fight here. But I think the fact that it is a little bit longer, Marias could get in there and, and finish this fight. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick Marias, but I think the value on this fight is on uh, Sun Tso. Speaking of value, my UFC Fortaleza, I got five on it. For those unfamiliar, if you got five extra bucks, you can throw it on these. They are flyers. I am not necessarily picking these people to win. But Sarah Frota and uh, Livia Renata Souza, uh, plus 185 for Frota. She is undefeated. You all probably saw her or maybe saw her with a fairly quick win on Dana White's Contender Series. In a division like this, I think there's always that possibility. It's There's this sense of unpredictability in some of these fights, much like uh, the, the UFC heavyweight division. Although they're not comparable in style, or they, they are comparable in skill at some degree. That being said... Souza is very good. Also, I have uh, Bantaran and Bibulatov, even though I'm fully expecting uh, Magomed to win this fight. Plus 325 at flyweight in Bantaran's home country. Bibulatov making that that travel. I think that's that's an okay one. And then I've got Jose Aldo. Like I said, a rare plus 105. I got five on it. But considering who we're talking about, I'm like, you know what? Even though there's there's not a ton of value, as James said, there is value there with Jose Aldo. Those are my, I got five on it. We'll review how those ended up next week, but we have a few questions as we wrap up. What do you guys think of the uh, announced Romero versus Costa fight rebooked for the third time, Joe? Yeah. I don't know what to think of that, to be honest with you. Um, Yeah, it's fine. It's all good. James, anything? I, I, th- I think it's a little interesting because, I mean, if, if Costa loses this fight, what's Romero going to fight for the title again? Like, it seems kind of puzzling. Mad. It's a it's a great fight. Don't get me wrong. We're going to learn a lot about both guys, whether Romero is still at the top of his game and whether Costa is this legit guy. I mean, we don't really know. He's got all these knockouts, but, you know, Uriah Hall and, you know, a couple of the other fights that he's had, I mean, they're not really notable opponents. So we're going to learn a lot about Costa in this fight. I guess on the flip side is I think the UFC's hoping that if Costa pulls this off, he's immediately going to be propelled, yeah. uh, you know, up up the up the ranks there. So. 
But I just, to me, why isn't you all Romero fighting at 205? I don't Weird. understand that because yes, I know that he's, he's not a, like a, like a tall guy, but, um, but, but, you know, at this point you've had a couple cracks in the middleweight title, or at least, you know, had a crack at Robert Whitaker. I just don't see the, the value there in him staying in that division. So it's a, it's an awesome matchup. Don't get me wrong. I just don't get it from you all Romero's perspective. Well, the winner of TJ or the winner of Marlon and Asuncio get the shot at TJ. I will say yes because I think they'll end up going Benavidez, Cejudo. That fight is right there for them for the flyweight title. James, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, I think they're going to do it that way. And um, yeah, I just, I mean, we, we the bantamweight division's just been held up too long by Cody Garbrandt and TJ Dillashaw. They need to switch things up, and I think fans are getting tired of it. And I think the UFC's listening for once. Joe, where's the money fight? Yeah. Is there a money fight for that for TJ? Yeah. Bring up Cejudo. Get that oh. rematch going. Do you think people really want to see that after what we saw? I think so. I think so. You can make the argument that TJ should not have lost all that weight, which had no water around his brain. Uh, a nice crisp punch from a guy like Cejudo knocked him out easily. Let's get some more water weight around your brain and let's get a good fight going. Do you think if Moicano finishes Aldo, he can leapfrog Volkanovski and get the title shot at Max next, Joe? Uh oh, solid question. Yeah, you take out the former champ, you might. Yeah, I like it. James, how about you? Yeah, yeah, I think he will. He was already the backup for the for the title fight. The UFC obviously thinks very highly of him, and taking out a former champion in Aldo is a bigger win than Mendez. I hate to say it, but Aldo was a former champ, Mendez wasn't, so that this would be a huge win. I agree with both of you guys. FightfulMMA.com, lots of news. If you all didn't check out James's interviews over the weekend, go and do so. There's a lot of stuff that uh, didn't just wasn't just pertinent to Bellator 214. He had a lot of stuff moving forward. James, what do you got going on this week? Well, I'll quickly plug some of those Bellator interviews that people might have missed. I played uh, what was it? Um, I played Mortal Kombat with Ricky Bandeas. So you can check that out. I uh, played <laughs> Goldeneye with Ian Butler. You can check that out. Talk to Andy Foster. Got his reasoning. I, as far as I know, I don't ever think we've seen Andy Foster on camera. People are eviscerating him in the comments. Exactly. Exactly. Hilarious. You got to check it out, though. Andy Foster, uh, you know, sounds like a bad guy in a Western movie. It's it's great. You're going to love the He's interview. Awesome. Check I that out. Him, and then um, uh, what's the other one? Freddie Roach, like we talked about here on the show. Check that out. I was one of the few people who got a you know quick statement from him on Aaron Pico losing and what he needs to do moving forward. So check all those out. And uh, yeah, what a blast that was covering Bellator. Follow me on Twitter uh, at Lynch on Sports. Joe, what do you get going on this week besides shoveling a lot of snow? Well, that's probably next year before I go pick up my son. But uh, same old, same old. Probably a lot of these. Uh, I'm trying to catch up with what James has been doing with all those interviews. So I'll be sitting down with some coffee and catching up with with James and just reading up on the John Jones stuff that's happening and and paying more close attention to what uh, Nurmagomedov and and McGregor are going to be doing. But of course, you know, getting ready for for Saturday's fights and whatnot. So same old, same old for me, work, 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 and more work. Somebody says you guys are forgetting about Davis and Figueredo and Jesse Formiga must be a title eliminator. No, it must not be. Joseph Benavidez (laughs) won a fight. He was the backup fighter. Uh, I think he's got a win over Cejudo. He's next in line. Follow me at Sean Ross app. Till next time, we're out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine 
but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.